Ladies and gentlemen, we do thank you very much for your attention, and now we invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the takeoff. Welcome aboard. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Homesick Podcast with Max Turner, broadcasting live from the mothership, my 98 Ford Econoline van, my home and office. Okay, I'm not really broadcasting and it's not really live. Sounds good, though. This is episode four, a short summary of my time at basic training for Benning, Georgia. A couple of things before we get started, though. I hope you're enjoying these narrative-style episodes. I know it's not the usual podcast format, reading from a script like I'm doing here. However, that's the great thing about podcasting. I can do whatever I want. And since my memory is dog shit, it's the best way to keep a timeline straight in my head and not leave anything out. Also keeps me from pausing too often. And I think as I keep doing these, um, there's going to be a style that just kind of naturally develops in it. I just got to keep coming back, y'all. And I think we'll get somewhere. Anyway, I'm looking forward to doing more off-the-cuff interviews soon to bring you some variety. In this episode, I talk about basic training a real exercise in homesickness. I often tell people this is one of the best things I got from the military, being 17 years old and thrown into many new, exciting and terrifying experiences. You develop some self-confidence and a desire to seek out the unfamiliar. I'm gonna split my army career into several episodes, next up being artillery school in Oklahoma and my duty station in Washington. I hope these can shed light on the subject for those that might be curious about joining the military, uh, possibly dispel some common myths, and I think even if you're not interested in the military at all, you'll probably find something funny in here. A couple of updates. Leaving for California on Sunday. Got like, yep, six days. Six days left in Colorado. Uh, just got in touch with an old army buddy who's in Phoenix that uh, I really need to catch up with. So I'll be swinging through there on my way to San Diego. Six days ago, I received my first epidural steroid injection for pain management due to a couple bad discs in my lower back. I've been dealing with this issue on a daily basis for quite a while now, and I know a lot of people with the, uh, the same or similar condition. So. I want to keep you guys updated on that, and maybe I can answer a question somebody has about the procedure or um, ways, you know, management techniques um, for getting you some relief. Um, I want to do this because I have got a ton of great information from the podcast I subscribe to, and I want to keep that ball rolling. So I won't bullshit you. I won't tell you about stuff that... Um, I don't know about personally, or at least I'll put the disclaimer in there that it's just something I've heard. Uh, but anyway, my back does feel better since the injection. Um, 
but I still use Kratom for pain relief. Kratom, 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 you might have heard of it, K-R-A-T-O-M. Uh, still use that for pain relief. Uh, it's an amazing all-natural opioid that you can find at local head shops or buy online. Check it out if you're like me and you're used to having to take a um, thousand milligrams of ibuprofen every day. Or if you just have achy joints, tension, or an injury you're recovering from, I think it's a hell of a good option compared to ibuprofen or, you know, hard narcotics, like a Percocet, whatever. Um, yeah, just better way to go. This just in. Ladies and gentlemen, the Homesick Podcast has exceeded 100 downloads. A milestone in internet radio history, no doubt. I want to thank you all for being part of the foundation, the ground floor people. In light of this, I will put out a new episode every Monday. Whether it's a cool interview discussion I get to record with somebody, or simply yours truly, talking to myself in a van somewhere. This episode is brought to you by push-ups and MREs. In 2006, I was a junior in high school living in Charleston, West Virginia. The third of four children, I was not the easiest to raise, but we can get more into that later. In short, I had to complete my last two years at an alternative program located on a college campus in town. I don't remember anything specific that sparked my interest in the Army or the military, but this was five years after 2001 and during the largest push of the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. I also had a workout buddy who was set on being a Marine, so maybe that's where I got the idea. My recruiter, Sergeant Webb, picked me up after class one day in a black sedan. I can remember his confidence and swagger and a thick Appalachian accent that didn't quite match the rest of him. I was already pretty good at push-ups and a decent runner, so the physical fitness aspect wasn't an issue. After leafing through some pamphlets and discussing possible signing bonuses, I was excited. <laughs> Travel the world and blow stuff up. It's every little boy's dream, isn't it? Next up was a visit to the local MEP center for aptitude testing and a physical. One more trip a couple weeks later to print and sign the contract. I was committed to six years in the Army Reserves, working as an ammunition specialist. I enlisted into a split-option training program, meaning I would attend basic during my junior summer, then complete my senior year of high school, and then attend advanced individual training, which is where you learn your specific job in the military. After that, I would report back to my reserve unit in West Virginia. I would end up switching to an active duty contract before I got to all that. Here we go, headed to basic. Myself, plus a handful of other boys, were shipped via passenger van, similar to the one I live in now, the nine hours south to our summer school in Fort Benning, Georgia, home of the infantry. We arrived on base after dark, exchanging nervous small talk and awkward silences as we navigated the empty roads. One recruit accidentally took a sip from a Coke bottle he'd been using as a spittoon for most of the trip. Enjoy it while you can, dude. No tobacco for the next nine weeks. 
We had all been warned about the shark attack, the term used for the first time you meet your drill instructors, where a swarm of them descend on the new recruits to dole out physical and emotional abuse. As we pulled up outside a brick building and saw a row of sergeants awaiting our arrival, we feared the worst. Line up in formation, we were told, but they didn't scream it at us. I was a little confused. Oh, these guys don't have the round hats. This was only in processing. For the next 72 hours, we signed medical and legal paperwork, were vaccinated for half a dozen sicknesses, and issued our gear. We were assigned to a room with bunk beds and not told very much about the upcoming training, just that we should try and get some sleep on that last night. In the morning, we dressed in our brand new uniforms, loaded ourselves and our gear onto an old school bus, and made the short drive over to Bravo Company. The day was warming up, and the chum was in the water. There's those round hats I was looking for. Get the hell off my bus! shouted the first drill sergeant in a tone of voice that could have spooked a crocodile. The intensity of a U.S. Army drill sergeant is something I still have yet to see matched. I tried to remember what I'd been told about this initial break-in period. First things first, don't be the last one off the bus. As we exited with our bags full of gear, we were shoved in the direction of our next formation. Move with a purpose. Recruits were dropping bags and doing push-ups left and right. Stand at the position of attention, rigid, chin up and chest out, with your arms flat against your sides, fingers tucked in and thumbs facing forward, heels together, toes at a 45-degree angle. The sharks were circling those of us not already doing exercises and started asking questions, probing for weakness. There was blood in the water. Stare straight ahead. Never make eye contact. Always finish your sentence with drill sergeant. Eventually we all slipped up in one way or another and received our punishments. Push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks, sprint to the flagpole and back, ride your Harley, squat down, hold your arms out in front while making your best motorcycle impression. Punishment doesn't have to be without a sense of humor. The shouting and sweating continued for what felt like hours. Some cried. Some made the mistake of laughing. Some said they couldn't do it anymore, and then did it some more. We fell asleep in our bunks that night, most of us probably wondering what the hell we'd gotten ourselves into. Basic training is divided into three phases, red, white, and blue, three weeks apiece. As your platoon progresses through these, you are given more responsibilities, privileges, and shown slightly more respect. Each day starts around 4 a.m. with PT, physical training, or the morning workout. Most days would be either strength training, like push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, or cardio, such as a 4-6 to six mile run. Every now and then, something like log PT or an obstacle course to keep things interesting. For red phase, though, we're basically doing PT every hour. Mass punishment or smoking sessions, usually brought on by some high-speed individuals. One such person that comes to mind was named Purvis. While I can't remember exactly what Purvis would say to bring it on, his punishments were always hilarious. 
after asking a dumb question, and there is such a thing, folks. Purvis was told to go pick flowers. Returning to the drill instructor a few minutes after with a cute little bouquet, it would get smacked out of his hands before he started doing push-ups. Another time, Purvis was given a broom and told to sweep sunshine out on the courtyard until dark. As we got to know our DIs or drill instructors better, we would shout back at them when they'd smoke us with phrases like, Can't smoke a rock! Or, Only making me better. I've never been a huge fan of running, but anyone who's experienced it will tell you that it's quite a different thing to do it in a formation with 50 other guys all singing cadence. Drill sergeants would quiz us at the front of the line for the chow hall. Can't recite the soldier's creed? Do push-ups. Don't know the maximum effective range of your rifle? Back of the line. 500 meters for a point target, 600 for an area target, such as a building or vehicle. List the army values. Loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, personal courage. I didn't even have to look that one up. Sit down and inhale your food. Taste it later, they told us. One cup of water, one cup of Gatorade. Morning block of training. Lunch in the field, usually. Afternoon training in the field or classroom. PowerPoints on equal opportunity and sexual harassment. Suicide prevention. Always comical to see a room full of bobbing, shaved heads that haven't had more than five hours sleep in weeks. At the end of the day, we would usually clean our gear and write letters home. Also receive any that were sent to us. Mom tried to smuggle me a piece of big red gum and a letter one time, but it sweated through the envelope and was discovered. We were issued our M16 rifles within the first few days to be kept within arm's reach for the next nine weeks. God help the souls who let it slip out of their hands and hit the concrete during formations. Red phase also includes a lot of DNC or drill and ceremony, like marching and raising the flag. Always lead with your left foot. Don't lock your legs in formation or you'll pass out. Teachable moment here. I never knew what caused this until completing EMT training in Colorado recently. Orthostatic hypotension or low blood pressure due to an upright position has nothing to do with locking your knees. Fainting due to low blood pressure is due to a lack of return of blood from your legs to your heart since the only way blood moves through veins is by contraction of the muscles in the extremities, unlike arteries which have pressure. So, squeezing your calves and quads, if you're forced to stand in a formation for hours on end, can help return blood to the heart, preventing this. Thankfully, the condition is self-correcting. Once you face plant into the ground, blood is able to reach the heart again, and you wake up. In the case of someone suspended in a harness for long periods of time, such as during a mountain rescue, this is known as suspension syndrome and can be fatal, since they do not self-correct once they lose consciousness. One thing about marching that sticks with me to this day is that in a formation of troops, no matter how large, if everyone takes a step forward at the exact same time, it looks flawless. No accordion motion. I wish the people in cars at traffic lights would adopt this strategy. 
I also always remember my duck feet drawing attention. We did plenty of obstacle courses, sometimes called confidence courses, which I enjoyed, even the ones that make you pee a little bit. Being 5'6", I was definitely overextended on some of those, one of them being a, a ladder made out of rungs about the size of me. So, yeah, like on my tippy toes reaching for the next one while I'm 20 feet in the air. And all these had just mulch on the ground to break your fall, no safety nets. We received combat lifesaver training, which included how to apply a tourniquet, plug a bullet wound with quick clot, which is an awesome product I recommend to all people that want to be a little more prepared. It's a blood clotting chemical you can buy on Amazon. It comes in uh, different forms, usually just a sponge, though, that you kind of shove into a wound when pressure alone won't stop bleeding. We were trained on the proper use of a nasopharyngeal airway, which is a flexible rubber tube inserted through the nose in case of oral trauma or obstruction demonstrated on a few unlucky privates by the instructors. One of my most memorable moments in training by far would have to be the CS gas chamber, short for carbon monosulfide. Lovely stuff. For this exercise, we fitted our M40 gas masks and filed into a concrete room about the size of a shipping container. Recruits lined up, backs to the walls, with three drill instructors in the middle of the room. Doors close, with not much light in there. There was a table with a small propane burner and a skillet, and the drill instructor started scooping a white powder out of the container and dumping it on, not measuring much. Kind of looked like my mom adding sugar for an apple pie. The thick white smoke rose in clouds that hit the ceiling and crept down the walls. It causes skin irritation immediately, like a bad sunburn. The first task we were all given was to break the seal of the mask by pulling it straight out a couple of inches, holding for a second or two, and then reapplying. Now, with a mask full of tear gas, you need to place your palm over the exhaust port on the outside of the mask and exhale hard to force the gas out from the edges of the seal. The problem is, by this point, you've already got some of that good stuff in your lungs and are coughing uncontrollably. Next, the masks come off for good. Now you get the full effect. Eyes, sinus, lungs, skin, all on fire. One recruit ran to the back of the room where we had entered from and tried to open the doors before being bear-hugged by a drill instructor who kept repeating, Calm down. You're not going anywhere, and you're not going to die. They came around to each of us and had us recite different things like our social name and rank. Once everyone had been tested and the mucus was dangling from our crying faces, it was time to exit, single file and try not to run headlong into that big pine tree outside. We sat on the bleachers and drank water while the effects wore off. Phase two begins live weapon training. Our first rifle range consists of zeroing your weapon. Three shot groups to get your sights adjusted and show the instructors that you understand the concepts of trigger control, sight picture, and breathing. You then qualify on a range of 30 man-sized targets, out to 300 meters. 
I remember barely being able to make out my last target the farthest away, a tiny speck of black smaller than my front sight post. I had sweat dripping into my eyes, and my breathing was not steady. But I hit that little shit and got 30 out of 30 for my first official rifle score. We trained on machine guns like the notorious 50 cal. M16 mounted grenade launchers with dummy rounds that exploded in orange chalk when you hit a hard steel target. They felt a lot like the potato guns we shot with dad back home. A grenade range where we practiced throwing dummies from various positions and obstacles and ended the day with two live grenades each from behind a concrete barrier. People have a tendency to throw and then stare, so the DIs are there to slam you to the ground if you forget. I remember to get down, but didn't throw my first grenade far enough away from the barrier and caught a good ass chewing for that one. In my defense, those things are heavy, and I've never been one for baseball. We learned how to disassemble and clean every weapon, what to do when they stop working. Slap, pull, observe, release, tap, squeeze. Learning to tie a climbing harness with a single piece of rope and rappel down a 60-foot tower was another high point a skill I would later help teach to over a thousand ROTC cadets in Fort Lewis. Final phase incorporates multiple overnight field exercises with some of the more complex training, like land navigation and operations in urban terrain, troop movements, and how to react to an ambush. There's also more emphasis placed on the recruits in leadership positions doing their jobs and dealing with inevitable failure. I've probably learned how to read a map and compass three or four times in my life, and I still can't keep it straight. The instructors joked that if we got lost, just find a little tree, shake it, and look for the corresponding movement on your map. We did hours of ruck marches in the Georgia heat with full gear, and I developed an extremely painful heat rash all over my back that looked like chicken pox. We had coolers full of ice water and white bed sheets to throw on top of someone when they fell out from heat exhaustion. Moat, or mount, M-O-U-T, was fun stuff. Stands for Military Operations in Urban Terrain. We learned how to stack on a door and enter a room fast and controlled as a four or five man team, each covering a different direction as we entered. Another term that stuck with me to this day is violence of action. You enter a room so quickly and powerfully that the occupant, who might be enjoying a nice home-cooked meal, is on his back before he knows he's in a fight. A concept I keep in mind to this day for tackling all kinds of issues. A final field exercise before graduation puts all our skills to the test with land navigation, night operations, and simulated attacks from our instructors. Lots of cleaning and recovery time before graduation. I was selected to be part of the seven or so members of the demonstration squad for our ceremony. We dressed in full battle rattle and hid in the wood line out of sight on the far side of an asphalt lot where our family members watched from bleachers. They played something along the lines of ACDC Thunderstruck after we threw smoke grenades in between us and the crowd. We moved out from behind the trees in a tactical formation. My mom and dad came down for graduation and brought my girlfriend Megan along as a surprise. It was a good day.
Most of us looked quite different now. The overweight had thinned out. The skinny had bulked up. We had been pushed to incredible new heights. Boys turned into young men. We were strong and hungry. We were brand new and chomping at the bit for more. We were Bravo Bulldogs. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I was uh, getting a little frustrated here today, running back and forth inside the gym so I could use the Wi-Fi to back out here in the van to record. I'm still trying to figure out the best process for going uh, from, you know, microphone to editing software to the Anchor website where I finally upload everything. But I'm getting there, and um, this new microphone I got hopefully simplify it a little bit. That's what I recorded the last take of um, this episode on. So, hope it sounds okay. And have a good one, guys. Take care. We'll talk soon.